Hello and welcome to episode three of Riveting Broads. We are the podcast where we believe that the important conversations in media and politics and in everyday life are too often about women instead of with them. We're hoping to change that by having conversations with folks about vulnerability, autonomy, identity, politics, culture, religion, and everything in between, uh, really to give them a place to address the things that matter most to them and to recognize we're all not alone and it's okay to get a little uncomfortable. I'm here today with my co-host, Jackie Richard, as always. Hello. (laughs) And we're also joined by someone pretty special. Um, We... uh, have had the privilege of talking to and now having Julia Campbell on the Riveting Bods podcast. I'd like to introduce Julia. Julia uh, is a digital marketing expert who specializes in nonprofits. Um, she's a pretty stellar communicator. You can follow her on Twitter at, is it Ju- J.C.? Julia C. Social. Julia C. Social. She. Um, I also subscribe to her newsletter, a little plug, because it's crazy informative. It's oh. um, <laughs> true. Uh, and I think that we'll include your details at the end, like just so people can follow what you do because it's pretty spectacular. And a lot of the organizations that you work with are worth supporting. So today we're going to be talking about anybody. Uh, we're going to talk about feminism. The feminism, right? <laughs> yeah, the, it's the the yes. word we all feel very confident saying, but makes some people uncomfortable. We want to navigate uh, the the word feminism and sort of the the role feminism has or affects in your personal branding, how as independent, both Julie and I are, um, you know, sole proprietors, uh, talking about saying feminism out loud and dealing with all the, the sort of ebbs and flows of people's um, interpretations or preconceived notions, etc. And it's a pretty heady topic. So we're going to probably go in like a thousand different directions. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I think having Julia here today, if if you follow her work, you also know mm-hmm. that she's quite an activist in her own right. Um, so yeah, let's dive into it. Julia, mm-hmm. feminism. Tell me about Go. it. Feminism. <laughs> so my my take on feminism is that, yes, I do believe that, of course, everyone should be a, a feminist. But also, I think there's something to be said for the act of being an activist. So when... I say I'm a feminist. I don't just say, okay, I'm going to sit back and hope and pray for equality of the sexes, but I'm actually going to fight for it and donate to organizations that also fight for it. I'm going to speak out. I'm going to advocate. So to me, when I I was just saying how um, half of my shirts have some kind of feminist saying on them or actually just say feminist on them, um, I actually have a lot of items of clothing that say feminist on them, because I think it's a signifier to other people. Um, it's also sort of a signal that you're you're attracting kind of the right people to you, but it also makes people uncomfortable, which I'm fine with. I'm completely fine with making people uncomfortable. That's why I'm excited to be on this podcast, <laughs> a podcast for talking about things that that people don't really want to talk about. So... When people say, and I said before, you know, Beyonce's a feminist, everyone's a feminist, feminist, the, the corporatization of feminism, and people, a lot of um, a lot of mainstream celebrities have come out and said they're feminists. I question, you know, whether or not everyone that says it is actually an activist. So for me, there's that other piece 
to feminism. It's not just believing in feminism. It's actually fighting for it. Yeah, you say that so well, because I think there's a surprising amount of people that especially in sort of this advent of putting feminism or women's rights, women's sort of social issues at the forefront of conversations, whether it's politically, uh, culturally, or just in every everyday life. I think that there is this, it, from my perspective, it, sh- it shouldn't even be a topic of conversation. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that we're dedicating this episode mm-hmm. to feminism says that like we have some work to do. Right. Um, and it, the reason it came up for for me and the reason I thought of Julia is that Jackie and I, the, <laughs> the genesis for this podcast is talking about those things that we've said now a couple of times today and on previous episodes. It's like talking about the things that perhaps you were told by your parents you're not supposed to talk mm-hmm. about. Like I say, like when you go to like, uh, you know, cocktail party and they're like, you know, Molly, don't make it weird by like being that like <laughs> feminist. I get that like, all the time. You know, mm-hmm. do you have, does it always have to be a thing that we talk a about? Thing. A thing. And I, I, you know, on paper, I get what they're saying, right? Like it doesn't, I, I you know, I'm not a huge fan of people doing things for shock value mm-hmm. only, Right. I don't like the idea. I find it sometimes it's about a little bit narcissism, like pay attention to me, like sure. listen to me. Um, but I think it's in my case, and, and and perhaps this is narcissism, there's this there's this vision in my mind that's like, okay, if I don't do it, who will? <laughs> Which is like so, as I say that, so entitled and privileged <laughs> out loud. But well, there's this we part need to me. be using our yeah. privilege. Yes, I, ex- exactly. Uh, to, to advocate, I mean, to speak about on these issues so not just to say drawing attention to us and we're having center stage but to actively lift up other voices in the field so i think that you know actually what i wanted to say on this podcast one of my favorite comments around feminism happened um around the 2016 election tom ashbrook who is now canceled had (laughs) hillary clinton on and he said hillary if you're elected, is feminism over? And she said, Oh my God. What? I, I just like, even, threw up in my mouth. <laughs> how do you even answer a question like that? And I feel like that's the culture we're living in now. Like, hey, feminism's over. You know well, what? Like, well, we've got all these women. Now. That's women the have thing. equal rights Everyone in the law. It feels like they have, women have all these equal rights now, right. but it, violence against women is still up. Pay. Yep. Um, inequality yep. is still a huge issue. Women still have to fight much harder to get into positions that men are finding themselves in. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's there's still so many microcosms. And I think the big issue is that, yeah, we can have jobs and we can vote, but that <laughs> we, doesn't we mean we have to you stop pants, fighting. Okay? Yeah, exactly. What more do you want right. from you're us? Allowed yes, you're allowed now, to get divorced now. You're allowed to get divorced now, sometimes in some right. states. Yeah, right. if not. you ask permission. Yeah, no, yeah. It, it's, it's not even fun. I mean, I think we, that's another thing I wanted to address too. Mm-hmm. We, a lot of times we've talked about these topics and they're kind of heady topics, um, you know, on riveting broads is like they, it's, it is, it is horrific that this mm-hmm. is a topic and it's not just a thing that we'd prefer. It's what is right. And the reason I say that is that the only way sometimes I find that I can cope with the insane ineptitude of sort of the the balance of power in our world is that I joke about it. And mm-hmm. I joke because 
at sort of a form of processing for me. It's cathartic for me to be like, okay, haha, <laughs> the world's falling down and I'm just going to try to get through it with a little bit of a joke. But it right. isn't a joke. This is, I mean, I, I will be continuing joking today. <laughs> um, but I just think it is, it's something that I, it's easy to trivialize if you act like, it's funny. Right. And I think sometimes because I pride myself on being a great communicator or someone that can navigate different types of people really well yeah. and that I end up sacrificing the the sort of severity of the issue because I'm so concerned with not appearing heavy-handed or in, you know, some people's mm -hmm. concern that I've, you know, always play that role or something. Mm -hmm. And that's something I want to talk about. Like, mm -hmm. why is it that we can't, why is it that it's so, or why is the tendency to sort of brush feminism to the side, a defense mechanism for people that are uncomfortable with equality? Like, is it they're doing that because, and then maybe I know that answer, but I'm curious what you guys think about it. Well, the way I see it is that it brings up very uncomfortable realities and truths for a lot of mm. people. So when you talk about feminism and you acknowledge that it is something that's important, then you're saying that women do not have equality. Or you're also saying that there's an entire subgroup of people that are being oppressed in some way. And that's really uncomfortable for a lot of people. No one wants, well, no one, not no one, we do, a lot of people do, want to talk about sexual harassment in the workplace or even racism or poverty or homelessness. And I think of the organizations that I work with a lot of the times, they have missions that make people uncomfortable just by existing, mm -hmm. just by having a food bank, having a homeless shelter, having a rape crisis center, it makes people uncomfortable that those things exist. I also think it might be a product of American culture a little bit because when I travel abroad, I do see these conversations happening. Maybe it's just the people that I'm interacting with, but we're so focused on the individual and taking care of everything internally and we don't talk about it and we don't ask for help. And, you know, if it's something that's happening to you, it must be your fault. You must be asking for it. And right. that's really... Or not a, trying hard enough. Yeah, I think that's a uniquely American piece of our culture yeah. that fuels that kind of hiding and, and not wanting to talk about uncomfortable issues. Yeah. I think people are afraid of being ostracized for it, too. Back in the day, when I was in high school, I was a completely different person who wasn't. Mm -hmm. um, but I was much more conservative mm -hmm. and... We, we talked about this in our first episode. I was raised in an evangelical kind of environment. My parents converted when I was young. Um, so there were all sorts of these social constructs that I was navigating that didn't really make sense to me. But at the same time, when I was in preschool, I was chasing boys around and I was just boy crazy and obsessed. And for me, I never wanted to um, appear that I hated men or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So I, I wouldn't never identify as a feminist. And I didn't, I wasn't actually a feminist back then. I remember when I was going into college, I would say, well, you can say whatever you want. I don't care. Cause I wanted to be cool, quote unquote, yeah, sure. you know? So then I started, I actually took a class called advertising as a means of communication. Yeah. Oh, wow. By this professor, Satjali. He's amazing. He actually founded the media education foundation, which is a nonprofit all about educating people of the effects that the media has on us, and it completely, completely changed my mind. I watched Misrepresentation, yes. that documentary, and Tough yes. Guys. I don't you know, know if you guys have seen I haven't guys. seen Tough Guys. Yeah. I love Misrepresentation. Yeah. 
Yeah, it Crazy. totally changed my mind about how I was portraying myself to other people. And then in turn, what I was being complacent in, and I realized, oh my God, this is awful. And so I, at that point, had to kind of, similar to coming to terms with the fact that I didn't agree with my religion, I had to come to terms with the fact that I am, in fact, a feminist, and that's okay. And that doesn't make me hate men. It doesn't make me any less equal than I am now. I just know that I have to advocate and continue to advocate and continue to push and have those hard conversations. And I feel like I'm that person at the table. If someone's like, I'm not a feminist, I'm like, you have a vagina. Right. You want equal rights, right? You're a feminist. Can you imagine the privilege that it takes, though, to say... (laughs) I'm not a feminist if you're a woman. It I've must, heard it so much. It's but sad. also, like you said, I do think absolutely your belief system, how you grew up, your family, that all comes into play. But also the narratives around feminism that we've been shown in the media, that we've been shown our whole life, maybe that our family has been telling us, our community, our, our culture. And I was a woman's studies minor um, at Boston University. And I also remember kind of the, the infighting that I didn't like, that I do think sometimes happens. I don't I don't see it as much now, but the kind of fighting about, are you a real feminist? Are you not? Can you still watch pornography and be a feminist? Can you be anti-choice and be a feminist? I have my opinions about all of that, but I think it's important to understand that there are really no rules. My only rule is that, you have to be actively fighting for mm-hmm. equality. That's really my rule. But how do you feel about like the litmus test? Do well, you think there is one? It's funny. You guys both brought up things that were interrelated but different because one, on the one hand, Jackie made the point about sort of the the two extremes. You're either a feminist or you're not. And like right. you want to like, no way, that's not what I want to do. I am not that girl. That's not who I am. Right. Or the like, cool. like, you know, disgusting but stereotypical reference to burning bras and that's what you guys are about right to sort of essentialize us down to nothing but anyhow the the, what your point was is resonated with me in that I was brought up in a very different environment where I had what I liked to think was a very progressive home who I mean my sisters and I all identify as different variations of you know bisexuality pansexual like you know I, I my parents were always open to new ideas. They're really supportive. But now that I'm as an adult and I look back on experiences, you know, we talked to previous episodes, parents are going through divorce. You sort of have a re, a, a, a sort of look, a, you look back on your ideas of masculinity and feminine. My husband and I are in couples therapy. You sort of, just sort of, I'm aware of that in my life. And I look back at like the microcosmic elements of where I found misogyny in my life. And it wasn't, you know, not specifically my father, but society and what he was shown was how to support women. Like I remember, and this is, this is a big thing to say out loud, but I, I remember being so proud that my dad would sign my birthday cards as to my only son. And I'm one of three girls. And he meant it as like with love. I was like, I, you know, he had only three girls and I prided myself on being kind of a, you know, when I hate this phrase, but tomboy was the phrase we used at the time. And 
you know, that I played sports and that I wanted to talk business with mm-hmm. him. And, you know, I did all the, like, role play stuff. And in retrospect, like, that to me is misogynistic, right? Like, it's like this – and no, I don't think he was maliciously trying to do that. But in his mind, it was a compliment to say mm-hmm. – I was not, right. I'm not just a girl. You I'm embody like a little bit more. qualities. Congratulations. <laughs> yes. and it, but it's so great. I had that a, a literal like breakthrough in therapy and I was like, holy shit. Like I, like that thing I used, I truly was proud of it. And you know, there's maybe a part of me that still is, but like I, uh, yeah, it was something that I, I grappled with now is that you can both be a feminist and a progressive or a feminist leaning person Mm -hmm. and a progressive person and still not be perfect. Like think of us three white women sitting in a room Mm -hmm. and the intersection intersectionality that's missing from the conversation Mm -hmm. today Mm -hmm. is really important. And we'll be addressing that in future episodes. Um, But just acknowledging the just demographics in the room and in and of itself is, is a sort of limited um, lived experience. But then to your point, Mm -hmm. like the idea of, the litmus test, I think it's pretty, it's it's interesting to think about how feminism, you know, feminism is a spectrum, I believe. Everything's a spectrum. Mm-hmm. You know, there's like red, et cetera. But they, they're related in that you, you have to, you have to acknowledge that, that I guess it's, uh, it's what I tell my clients um, mm-hmm. in my, in my day job, which is, you know, self-awareness is the first step yes right like yes. The, in order to be to have a compelling message and to actually resonate is to know your vulnerabilities know your weaknesses know that you know and be okay with the fact that perhaps by saying out loud feminism is important for everyone to embrace you're acknowledging that you've lived through privilege, right? Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I said something that was like the phrase was like, the rise of women does not mean the fall of men, right? Yes. yes. And and it's Oh, that's the other half of it. I this. mean, there's right. so right, there's so many ways in which to phrase that and because we could we'll be talking about sexuality and gender identity. And this is just like to to use that phrase as a, as one that's simple. The I think what that that gets at is not just celebrating the rise of women, but acknowledging the threat that feminism proposes to people that are uncomfortable with the idea Mm -hmm. of losing or acknowledging their power Mm -hmm. because it undermines their worth. Like I had a gentleman that I met with recently, um, you know, who is in the industry where he rose up through the ranks, quote unquote, was the story Mm -hmm. he told. And he was just like, yeah, I guess I'm just, I just worked really hard and rose up the ranks rung by rung. And, And honestly, he was receptive to the critique that swiftly came after that. <laughs> but I was just like, dude, like imagine your he lived experience. His wife at yeah, home, same. taking care of his kids. Yeah. He imagine being the exact same lived experience as a black man. Mm-hmm. You know, there's categories of professions that are currently demographically majority white men, mm-hmm. cis, you know, cis identity, et cetera. And I just think and then, or or a woman, like I said to him, would, if you were a black man and you had that same experience, do you think you would be in the same boat you are professionally right now? And he was like, no. no. And, you know, to his credit, he admitted that. Yeah. And then he also, I said, okay, try if you're a woman. Do you think I, I doing the exact same thing you did with your rung by rung mentality, would that have worked for me? And he was like, no. no. And, you know, I, I I think, again, this is, and I feel like I've been speaking for a little bit so well I want to pivot but the idea that I could talk about this forever mm-hmm. is that I in that moment it was brave 
it was courageous for me to not let that go. Yes. Right? That's so mm-hmm. important. And then, but we're also vilified for being that person by, as we mentioned, like maybe parents or family or friends where it's like, okay, Molly, again with the feminism. Like, <laughs> yeah, again like, with the, right. all right, we my, all know. I need yeah. a hashtag again with the feminism. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> or a tattoo. Parents. Yeah. It's fascinating. And that's, I think... I grapple with that because I'm almost, and then you feel defiant and rebellious. And, and you're it's, like, yeah, I get it. Right? Yeah. yeah. And then it's exactly. like, but why? Like, why does that have to embody rebellion? I don't well, know if you and guys why feel is it so scary to do that, too? I think that's another thing is you don't want to appear as overly emotional or too passionate. I've been told that you're too passionate, you're too militant. And I mean, just. To some degree, I am very militant about my values, my mm-hmm. political beliefs, and even feminism is something that, because I've I discovered it kind of in my early twenties, and I've just you know I'm thirty now, so I've learned that there's multiple waves of feminism. Not every feminist is the same. Some of us value things differently, and we might disagree on a lot of stuff. Like I've been critical of Beyonce in the past, and people calling her the queen. Sorry, we're canceling the podcast. I know, I know. I That's know. really controversial no, thing no, to say. That's the important. most controversial topic I'm we could talk about. I know, <laughs> Molly. I've we had people freak out on, on me. Really? Yes, I've had people get so irate because I'm like. Well, what are we really celebrating here? Mm-hmm. So, but either way, I think the point is it's not up to me to decide if Beyonce is a feminist or not. It's right. not up to me right. to shame her for how she's using her brand, her body, you know, her image to be successful because in a lot of ways she is empowering women. She's empowering a lot of women of color. Mm-hmm. That's something I don't understand because I'm white and I'm privileged. So I just had to let it go and be like, all right, you're not the expert. You're just someone who wants to support other women. So for you me, that's opinion. really what it is. Exactly. Oh, yeah. It's just supporting other women, not bashing them for not being the kind of feminist I want them to be. And so I guess the lit- there, there yeah. is a litmus, but it's so subjective to our own opinions right. and experiences. And we're just taught as women that we need to be competing with each other constantly. Right. We talked about that on yeah. the podcast. For the attention of men, for the jobs, for the attention of women. Because well, for... if we work together, can you imagine what would can happen? Can imagine? <laughs> like, you know, I mean... I want to talk, say one example about something that happened um, with my dad, and he may be listening to this, so I don't know. I want to throw him under the bus. I don't want to throw it's him under the bus. It's unconditional love for a Unconditional reason. love. So I posted a photo after the 2018 election of all the amazing people of color who were elected to Congress, and I posted that infamous Rolling Stone cover, and my dad wrote underneath, can we please not outlaw all old white men? And I thought that was we just like, so representative no. <laughs> of the fear mm-hmm. and the why am I, I'm celebrating these women does not mean I'm not celebrating you, dad. Like right. taking, taking feminism completely personally, I see that a lot, especially in my social media comments like Twitter, um, even from some of my nonprofit colleagues on Twitter. Mm -hmm. I have seen just that because I am advocating for this, it must mean I am against that. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't always mean that. Just that the, what I see as the fragility, especially, I'm sorry to say with white men, the Mm -hmm. white male fragility of just feeling completely out of control and feeling like if 
we are pro Ilan Omar, pro Ayanna Presley, or pro AOC, or pro any of these women of color, these strong women of color, that means we're ag- immediately against like a Seth Moulton or or a Bernie Sanders or someone like that. And it right. doesn't really mean that. It no, they're not like We're looking for more voices and more representation people. Exactly. Know? My dad actually, same thing, not to throw him under the bus, but I no, I'm <laughs> kidding. I, I actually give him a lot of credit because I work for him. He and I have always been really close. We're a lot alike. Um, but politically, we've been on completely opposite ends of the spectrum for a really long time. And that's created some tension whenever the topic comes up, right? Oh, I can identify with that. Yes. And I work for him. Oh, wow. So that, and it's great because it's actually been an opportunity for us to gain a new level of understanding with each other. And um, sadly, you know, I think the statistic is one in four women will be sexually assaulted in their lifetime. Mm-hmm. I'm one of four girls. That statistic applies to my family. So it was really obviously an awful thing to deal with, not for me personally, but other people in my family and me as a, you know, just empathizing. But um, it kind of like shook my dad to his core too because I don't think he knew how to deal with it or even acknowledge that that happened so close to him and so I it was the catalyst for his evolution into I won't call him a feminist but I would say that he's much more on the same page as us now because he's he's seen how it's impacted his family firsthand but it took a lot of difficult conversations to get there and what I realized through those conversations was he felt I think if if we were right then he was complicit and he didn't want to be complicit complicit in something that's so detrimental to someone that he's done everything to protect in his life and had benefited from correct and we had to tell him look just because this happened and just because you're a white man doesn't mean you're representative of a sexual predator it just means that you guys have had it a little easier than everyone else and now it's it's our turn to rise up and you need to be okay with that and you need to be an ally and support us we're not asking you to change how you live your life Mm. we're asking you to listen and empathize and support us and validate us mm-hmm. you know and that's it yeah bottom line yeah and he's come a long way i give i give my dad a lot Absolutely. of credit wow. especially given his background i also feel like what's the idea that you in in that dynamic have to have a daughter to be a feminist oh, yeah. like you know people talk about that a lot in politics that's Paul not i am by no means is that your point but it made me think about that argument where you know people say well i'm the father of two mm-hmm. girls and i know that that's not and it's just like for me it makes my skin crawl cuz i'm concerned about the folks that don't have a daughter and don't have a or aren't in a dynamic where they can have empathy for someone they know personally as like a defense mechanism about being you know, uninformed, you know, and I, the other thing I want us to think about too, cause I, I'm, I'm just curious about it is the, the bars we set for women versus men through the lens of feminism. Like I talk a lot about my, you know, my husband who is 
an excellent human on so many levels, but is also a human, and that comes with the territory of being fallible. And he's such an ally and so vocally feminist now. And I asked him recently on a very elusive, because we never go on date nights, date night, because he's been busy lately, where I said, you know, do you think, I feel like you've always been supportive of me, but do you feel like you're, like when we have parties with friends and something comes up, he'll say something that's uber feminist and like something that I would maybe point out in a plot line and he would point out and people, you know, are like, oh, what? Yeah, that's such a good point, Dan. And if I had said that Uh exact same thing, and I'll use one other related example, people would be like, okay, Molly, yeah, I guess that's true. But here we are again doing the Molly thing. And I think about that as it relates to the bar we set. Mm -hmm. So like, translate that into day to day, right? So not just feminism topics, but like my mom loves my husband and my so mom loves my husband and I love my husband too but you know what I don't love is when my mom acts like my husband <laughs> is like yes. truly just this like he puts my son to bed oh, and my mom forbid. and my mom is just like you are so lucky oh, I get that. <laughs> you are so and I'm like and it's not it's not the level of like he's babysitting and no, that no, whole no. thing. He's like he's very progressive and very involved. But I just <laughs> meanwhile like I just feel like the like I can't think of a cartoon really Tasmanian devil. Yes. Like I'm like running around doing like a thousand things and everyone's like yeah, that's great. Oh, no. That's what you're expected. And then it's like, <laughs> I my have dad, so much to say. I want to pivot to this. <laughs> I, it, it's not feminism in its in its uh, theory. It's feminism in practice. So yes. I'm curious yeah. about your thoughts. There. So I have a text thread with my three best friends from college, and they're all working moms, varying levels. Like one's a teacher. One um, is sort of like me. Doesn't work for herself, but works virtually. Um, one is like a vice president of an advertising company in Manhattan, you know, so we're very different women. But we have this text thread and it started to just become like complaining about our husbands, which <laughs> I really can't complain because my husband is truly incredible. But then one of the girls on the thread said, uh, she said that she um, she's like, I don't care how amazing he is. Does he know everyone's birthday? Does he know everyone, like your brother's birthdays, your parents' birthdays? And I thought about that, and I actually do think that he does, to be honest, because he has an encyclopedic memory. But the point <laughs> was, what emotional labor is he is he doing? That kind of labor mm-hmm. that's that's just kind of taken for granted that the the female in the relationship or um, you know the non breadwinner. I'm I'm not necessarily the breadwinner, but the person that. Um, Usually the mom is going to adapt. So I think about that. And I do also think about how everyone in my life always talks about how he's such an involved father and he's, you know, he's always tries to be home for bedtime every night and he always takes them. If I go out with my friends or I'm traveling, I travel and speak all the time. So people in my life are are pretty great about that, um, you know, giving me the acknowledgement that I think I deserve for being pretty amazing as well. But it's when I go out and talk. So I travel a lot for work oh, to that's speak. Interesting. Yeah. Every without 
fail. Every time I talk, I will get someone that comes up to me afterwards and they're like, where are the kids? What are the kids doing? Because I would usually talk about my kids <laughs> Which in my talk. Which is implied judgment, And it's by so the funny. It's like, and I'm so are like, they dead in a car? Yeah. Like, no. Nobody yeah. would ever ask him if he's traveling <laughs> right? or if he's at a conference or if he's working, where are the kids? What are the kids doing? Every single time. And I just always think it's so interesting. And I always say to that person, they're fine, but I'm really wondering, have you ever asked a man that question? Right. Because mm-hmm. I have to say it, and I don't try to say it in a mean way, but I do feel like... <laughs> I sometimes do. Yeah, One time someone These asked you me... people are usually my clients. Unfortunately, I have to be a little bit more diplomatic. Of but course. I, of but, course. And I should but be. But I would I'm never sugarcoat any... I would never sugarcoat how I feel just to protect my clients' feelings. Yeah. But the way I look at it is it's a teachable moment because usually... Mm-hmm especially if the person's a woman, she'll say, oh, I never thought about it that way. And I didn't mean anything by it. And I said, no, I said, but you know, sometimes when I get that question, depending on my mood, it can come off as judging me for traveling or working or whatever it is that I do. Um, And I'm thinking of Big Little (laughs) Lies of Meryl Streep and that whole scene. But I think that exact point, like, he puts the kids to bed. Okay, great. You know, cool. yeah, <laughs> awesome. no, he nailed it. Yeah, wow. He should it. do that. He did, and he did a great job at it. It's not to lessen what's accomplished. Exactly. It's just but no one gives you credit for putting. Yeah, your or like child to maybe bed. they give me credit in a way that is implied, like expecting it. Like, of course, you did that. Good for you. Yes. Like that's what you're supposed to do. I also, exactly. I'm sure you maybe you guys saw this, but I make everybody watch this little TED talk. That it's little because it's short. But not little in its profundity. But um, the Tracy Ellis Ross um, bit about um, the the beauty of women's fury. Ooh, um, I think it's called that. The wisdom of women's fury. That's what it's called. And first of all, it like I just saying it gives like makes like gives me like chills. But basically, what her argument is, she does she starts with this anecdote, and I'm not going to do a TED talk right now, okay? Um, because <laughs> she does it way better than me for lots of reasons. But she uh, talks about how. Her aunt is is in her 60s, or a friend of hers who's in her 60s, and she was at the post office, and she's uh, filling out the details of a package she was going to ship, and she's standing in front. You know, they have the, the user experience is up for you know interpretation, but there's this table there, and there's all the envelopes, and she's writing on the envelope, and um, nobody else is around her. This man behind her needed to get to um, the the envelopes as well. And instead of talking to her mm-hmm. like he would an equal, say, he physically moved her. He touched her and moved her. And so Tracy oh, Ellis Ross... Oh, my God. Ta- and the woman was like, did I not hear him? Like, did I... I'm Thanks oh, I must. I'm so sorry. I was in your way. Um, you know, here, go ahead. I'm, I'm almost done. You know, sort of justifying the moment and so the woman afterwards processes it and says i was so angry like i didn't know how angry i was until i left i was like why did he touch me this stranger who thought i was property or something and you know so demeaning and and honestly whether i this man was malicious or misogynistic or whatever intentionally doesn't matter it's what you're you feel entitled to do and so she goes on to say and maybe i said it was 15 minutes it might be more like a half an hour but she talks about the nature of women's fury in this incredibly articulate and inspiring way which is that fury takes 
many different forms. And we as women are taught to apologize Mm -hmm. in obvious ways, but apologize for our emotions because as Jackie referenced, like, you know, people relegate us to emotional or, you know, charged or dramatic or whatever way that they can dismiss us, right? Dismiss Mm -hmm. our opinions. And she talks about how beautiful women's fury is Mm -hmm. and how we need to tune into it because A, systemically not healthy, Right. To constantly like if we're a ticking time bomb of microcosmic (laughs) microaggressions all day long, which I would argue sometimes I am Mm -hmm. and I have a support system, both a partner and friends and family and and folks I work with that I find very open minded. But it's like this idea that, no, I'm not not angry. I'm not the way I said earlier when we were talking before the show, I was saying that And I first went to couples therapy. I was describing it to people like, oh, yeah, no, 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 we're great. But we're trying to, like, get ahead of it. Like, just in case, like, something goes wrong. When in reality, we were going to couples therapy because we needed to go to couples Mm -hmm. therapy. But we, we start to contrive our emotions or construct our emotions through this filter of, like, what will someone hear? How will they hear it? And what will they think of me when they hear it? Mm -hmm. Instead of just being that raw anger, that raw, you know, sort of demeaning feeling you felt in that moment where someone physically moved you. Yeah, no, I know. It's like, can you, you can get, you get angry just hearing it. And I, there's something to me about that sort of filter, that restrictive, because I think I'm, who's someone who is so vocal, defiantly so Mm -hmm. at times, because I do feel that filter and I want to like, sort of show people that look Mm -hmm. i'm surviving with (laughs) yeah i'm doing pretty darn good for for saying the things that maybe we're not supposed to say out loud Um, but definitely tune into it yeah the wisdom of women's fury tracy there's a book was is it by rebecca traster about women's anger i have it it's called oh goodness i know we need to see let's check the internet she's amazing it's called uh, women aren't no that's the article i love good and mad good and mad good and mad yes um and it's great it, it chronicles sort of the history of the female issues in politics and how um the the effects of leadership um have sort of changed the way women are able to articulate and that it happens on smaller yeah, levels too and- I mean, we have that double-edged sword. I mean, even just to bring it into politics where... I love if it. You, Do it. Yeah. Do I it. mean, this was my whole issue with why people didn't like Hillary. And I know a lot of people are immediately shutting off the podcast with the mention of Hillary, which just <laughs> proves my point. But she, was, she wasn't emotional enough. She wasn't relatable enough. She didn't display her emotions enough. But if she had, she would be seen as hysterical... And flying off the handle and a typical woman who can't control their emotions. So really, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Right. And the other layer to that is if the the um, counterintuitive argument that she wasn't not just emotional enough, right. but like specifically f- the feminine attributes that people attribute to leaders. Like, it's okay if she's powerful, if mm-hmm. she's pretty. Right. Like, it's okay if she's powerful, if she's soft-spoken, because that's feminine. And if she's anything else, but that's why, oh, the Megan Rapino. Um, mm. that's not how her name is pronounced, is it? Is it Rapino? Thank you. Um, <laughs> the She really shook recently, not just because of her incredible accomplishments and the mm-hmm. and 
you know, the women's soccer team, uh, U.S., uh, just incredible, untouchable awesomeness. But I would say that her, the, the, the frustration that she pulled out of people mm. that were like, why is she so cocky? And it's like, wait, first of all, what? Like, why is she, right. of course, why, I, I mean, why right. wouldn't she? She's one of the yeah. best so athletes in the entire world. In Same with Serena world. Williams. People it, say that about her. Totally. It's like, and it's, she's actually the best athlete in the well, world. And look so. at all these other cocky male athletes. It's oh, just, forget it. Oh, it's, it's celebrated. Part of, exactly. Celebrated. And I think the thing with Hillary, too, is I, so... I was a big Bernie supporter. Mm-hmm. I wasn't a I'll big fan. You. I'm just Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> you're, you're like, I don't forgive you. Actually. No, it's okay. It's all right. We can talk about that later. <laughs> we can talk about it later. Um, but I think the problem, my problem with Hillary was, I don't know, I, w- I won't get into it, but I think the point is that we still hold women to a higher mm-hmm. standard mm-hmm. than men, even as feminists. So I would take Hillary over Trump any day right now. In, in retrospect, I, obviously, I can't stand Trump. I think he's the worst. But, um, yeah, I remember during the election, I was just like, I don't know. What's the lesser of two evils How kind many of conversations thing, do you, you know? have? Not just Bernie between Hillary, but, like, Hillary v. Trump. Like, you hear people that, you know, or statistically, there were people that voted for Barack Obama who then voted for Trump mm-hmm. because they're male fragility was oh, yeah. so profound that yes. they couldn't see her in a position of leadership. Yeah. And so the attributes that I was attributed to in my 11th birthday birthday card <laughs> of being interested in business and, and you know, mm-hmm. being outspoken or, or athletic or masculine in nature is what Trump was celebrated for. And his his detriments, his, you know, rampant uh, misogyny, his inability to articulate himself at a level that is of the office of the United States or, <laughs> or you know, his school. palpable yeah, racism school, right? and documented um, inappropriate and violent behavior mm-hmm. against women. You'd think that those would be just like a couple of quick talking points that would resonate with folks. And I think it's it's because we compartmentalize. There was some mm-hmm. some we meme do. that was like, all the women in me are tired. Like, yeah. like <laughs> it's like all it's like, you know, all the women in me are tired or all the the personas or versions of self I'm expected to do throughout the day to be uh, someone that people pay attention to or listen to, et cetera. In a couple of episodes, we're going to have someone on, and I won't reveal her name yet, but she's going to be talking about the relationship or the sort of dynamics of intergenerational women's relationships. And there's a part of, and I I don't want to speak for her, but the topic is really fascinating to me, um, which is as someone, not just as a young person to an older person, but like a young person whose metabolism was insane when she was in high school and college and whose metabolism has changed over time. So has her drinking habits and like having a child and so forth and then feeling sexy and powerful and then now running my own business and then wanting to navigate local community. Like, I mean, like that's Molly's journey, right? And so do I define myself by my sexuality, like by my sex appeal? Do I do I put that, like, is that something that's not important to me? No, actually, I have always been someone that embraces it. And it's kind of part mm-hmm. of my brand. But I also feel like I don't feel as confident as I once did because societally, I you know, you don't 
get paid attention to. Then now apply oh, yeah. that. I'm 32, and I'm applying that to a realm of like. Well, you're 42. <laughs> and, <I am. laughs> or like 62, and you're in right. a room, and you're a sole proprietor, and maybe not, but someone that's running their own business as maybe a wave two of their life discovery. And they're coming back in and trying to say, hey, guys, I want to help you with whatever. And everyone's like, oh, that's so cute that she showed up to this networking oh, event. Really and I do problem. feel like that's feminism, re- feminist related as well, which is, you know, and again, we're trying to solve feminism in the in the scheme of this entire episode. Um, <laughs> but I just I think. And we could include a sort of follow-up to this episode because we only have a few more minutes left. Um, you know, yeah. what what are some resources and what are some angles that you guys want to hear from us about as it relates to feminism in future episodes? We're sort of setting the stage for um, a lot of different topics. Like right off the top of my head, based on what you guys said, intersectionality, mm-hmm. familial relationships. We mentioned ageism, the mm-hmm. idea of a litmus test and how you're only a feminist if, and, um, you know, recognizing that self-awareness is an important part of uh, being a citizen of this world and recognizing that my sitting here and doing this podcast and talking about these issues is acknowledging that I don't know everything. In fact, I, I don't know most things and I don't mean that solely as self-deprecatingly, but it's true. I mean, I learn every day from, incredible women and incredible men about how wrong I am about certain things and how I can figure out a way to be a better human. And that's what I think this is about. I think a great episode would also be how to have difficult conversations with difficult people or how to have conversations. Thanksgiving dinner. Thanksgiving dinner. (laughs) So I'm not a big believer that you can really change anyone's mind at this point. I mean, if my... you know, half of my family wants to listen to Fox News and still believe in Trump. There's nothing I can, I can't do anything. I can't talk. I can't come, I can't come to terms with anyone that would actually support an administration that does the things that they do. But having conversations around these topics and not being afraid to. So my mom, when the Me Too movement was really taking off, she came to me and she said, you know, She's like, I I really just don't, I can't believe like this has happened to you and this has never happened to me. And I was like, mom, yes, this has happened to me. And I'll tell you like the 10,000 times that it did, but really think in your life. If this, I'm not talking about your boss raping you. That's not what this is about. What you can tolerate. Right. Right, right. I mean, let's really think about it. And then she thought about it and she said, oh yeah, well that one time this, oh, that one time my boss, that one time my coworker, that one time the blah, 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 my teacher. And I think just having that talk, because the way I came, come at things sometimes and you know, if my mom is listening and my dad is listening, they'll understand, you know, they know I come at things from a very defensive, like attacking way. But sometimes if I come at it from a, well, let's just think about this mm-hmm. because let's really dissect it and 
you know, understand and really think about it, that genuine, that works with some people that doesn't work with everyone. But in my experience, I think, because I'm in the same boat as you, I get super defensive. I get, I just get so charged. Yeah. Like, how does everyone not agree with me? I know, I do that. It's, in, it's insane, but I watched that. <laughs> it's um, going to be the name of our memoir. Yeah. It's like, why don't people agree with yes, me? That'll yes. be on my gravestone. <laughs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> but just I watched the, um, the Ruth Bader Ginsburg oh, documentary on Hulu. It was so, so good. good. I like, cried the entire time. It's just so inspiring. Yeah. I'm so inspired by her. Her trainer. Is- <sighs> Oh my gosh! So I know amazing. she's so cute with her weights. Yes, but she said something. Don't be ageist. I'm just kidding. Molly she is adorable with her. I support all women fiercely. <laughs> I know. Um, no, but she said something that really resonated with me because my my sister, my younger sister, who I love and we're super close, she told me once she was like, "Well, you're just always trying to teach people a lesson." <laughs> and like she's maybe. right. I like she's that. She's absolutely right, and she was saying it when I was chastising her for cutting the line at thanksgiving for the buffet <laughs> she was like you're into justice exactly oh 100 but anyway oh, the, the point of problem. me bringing this up is that um ruth bader ginsburg said in her documentary if you're yelling at people then they're not gonna want to listen to you and that really shook me to my core and i realized that i've been doing it wrong the entire time so now i'm just instead of being like ah, i'm just saying same thing well have you considered and then that actually is a really great way to get the conversation going in a way that people aren't defensive, right. but it gets the, the wheels spinning a little more. And then they realize, oh, I'm not under attack. They're just trying to help me see something. Right. And that has, you know, it's a conversation that perhaps we've all tried to have. And then, you know, I joke oh, yeah. about Thanksgiving and then dinner. Yeah. And I I don't mean even in my case, because we've, our Thanksgiving has evolved over the years um, with <laughs> different too. folk. Um, because just because of, you know, me having kids or traveling to my husband's or those type of things just on a pragmatic level. But also, you know, you, you start to recognize like, you don't have to apologize for cutting toxic people out of your life. So I'm not suggesting that you tolerate, you know, injustice or Mm -hmm. tolerate conversations that are ignorant and not, or on the flip side, you don't have to fight every fight. You know, what I think is what you guys are getting at that I find really inspiring is like, you know, we can be loud if we need to be, and we can be soft if we need to be. But instead, what we want to do, and again, this is sort of how I talk to clients, is understand that we're not as interesting as we think we are <laughs> until we resonate with other people. And so in order to resonate, we have to put ourselves in their shoes and then help to build that conversation. I think about that a lot with family members on my mm-hmm. husband's side and my side, because we're kind of told like, well, they're family. So you, you just, that's how it works. Right. And it's like, well, I didn't a- ask for that. Like right. we just are family and I'm expected to just tolerate. No. So instead what I try to do, and, and it's not popular always, is to do that, is to engage in conversation. Say, okay, well, talk to me. Talk to me where, what you think about Fox News. Let's walk God. through that. And, you know, I won't open that Pandora's box, oh but just God. sort of saying it's, I recognize we disagree, but instead of me acting like you're this alien, I'll never understand, let's sit down and talk about it. Because, and I think you bring up such a good point. Like, that would be such a good topic. Maybe we have you back on if you'd be mm-hmm. willing to join us, sure. Julia. Yes. I know you're a busy lady, but Different we'll have to. Topics. But it's a good, it's such a good point. Like, how to talk to people that, and maybe we 
think about who we could bring on that has a different opinion than us, that we're that's an ally or a supporter of us as people. And maybe we talk to them about what would resonate with them. Like, how do we address that type of topics? And now I'm getting very excited about it. But, (laughs) well, I know that we have a few more minutes, and I wanted to just spend uh, a little bit of time talking, you giving sort of a background on on where people can find you and follow your your stuff, not just on a marketing side, but if you have um, organizations you belong to or nonprofits that you work with that you want to highlight, we'd love to give you that space because... We frankly want to know it ourselves, and then also yeah. <laughs> we'll um, we'll put all right. of these details as usual on the episode description and on our website, so that all of you can, you know, connect with Julia directly or um, or or follow uh, her information. Okay. Well, I I don't know. I hesitate to call out specific clients. Please but only I do it. Comfy. Have organizations that I donate to monthly that I give money to monthly. And also I should give a plug for monthly donations. If people think that if people are very angry, if you're angry about the administration's policies towards immigrants or women or transgender troops, whatever it is, please know that donating even a tiny amount of money, even to big organizations does matter. And donating to local organizations does matter. It really, really helps. Every little bit helps. So for me, I like to encourage my clients to create monthly sustainer programs where even just $10 a month can really help. And so for me, I give to the usual, I give to races and Planned Parenthood and the ACLU, just because I feel like it will, you know, every month I'm doing that little protest. I'm like putting my money mm-hmm. where my mouth is. Mm-hmm. So I just feel very strongly about the power of philanthropy and the power of even like micro philanthropy. I think it's really powerful. Um, But I would recommend following me on Twitter at Julia C social. I tweet about mostly about nonprofits and marketing, but a lot about feminism, a lot about politics, a lot about just any great resource that I find that I want to pass on. I actually have gotten a lot of uh, gotten. I shouldn't say that on radio. I uh, <laughs> I've I've taken from your account a number of different folks to follow, and it, it's oh, been great. Really, yeah, you have a great reference um, of people that are influencers in the space for activism and marketing. I love it. I just feel like I need to be true to who I am and true to you know. I right. that's what I I do struggle with that. I know we didn't talk about it necessarily in the podcast, but it's your third. My visit, Twitter yeah. is probably the best representation of me because it's mm-hmm. a combination of work. It's a combination of sometimes I tweet about what I'm doing on vacation and it's a combination of my political beliefs and advocacy whereas the other channels are either like just family or just work so no I and I think and this is something I say all the time whether it's a good thing or not I have a really hard time extricating my personal self from my professional self you can't and that's why people (laughs) love you that's what I've always found yeah you know that I find that I'm not going to appeal to everyone, and that's completely fine. I don't want to appeal to everyone. Right. I mean, I had a, a fake pregnancy crisis center call me. I've actually had this happen twice. Organizations that I'm vehemently like opposed to on a values level contact me and ask me to work with them and ask me to help them raise money and ask me to help them do their marketing. And I had to say, 
absolutely not. And I will tell you why in a very nice way. But I can't be, I can only be who I am. I couldn't believe they would want to hire me. I was like, did you do any research? Nope. Nope. They saw your Twitter following and they were like, she seems important. I (laughs) I don't, have you ever seen me talk about anything? But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's a struggle. It's not interesting. It's interesting, but it's also like. It, there's a part of me that's really proud of that, and yes. you know, you should you be should. really proud of that because it's it's hard sometimes, especially when you're like going out on your own and being like, I need to have my mortgage paid, right. <laughs> and you're like, I just can't, like I wouldn't be able to look myself in the mirror and represent anyone that I didn't no. believe in. And also, your clients are going to appreciate that. Mm-hmm. So if you have integrity and you stick to your beliefs and you're constantly focused on who you want to attract and who you want to work for. First of all, you'll do better work. But secondly, then you'll really attract the right people and repel the wrong ones. Mm-hmm. So I, I firmly believe in integrity over all else. That's such great advice. It really is. And Guys, it's inspiring to so many other people that are struggling with that same thing. So Agreed. Yeah. Ladies, thank you. Um, thank as always, you. Jackie, thanks for co-hosting. Julia, thank you for being here. Thanks, we really appreciate it. And I'm... You know, I'm not joking about having you back if you're open. We'll figure out the next topic. All right. Thanks so much, everybody. We will uh, post the details online and we'll be in touch soon with our next episode. Thanks.